Hello and welcome to another episode of Below the Fold, where gurus are gone, content is king, and where the macro conversions have taken the place of the Facebook likes as the marketing metric of choice. My name is Jacob Perry. Today I'm joined by Brandon Hassler and John Hammond. How's it going, guys? Not too bad. How you doing? <laughs> Why do you always sound like you're from the South? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Like you belong at a NASCAR race or something. I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? Yeah, I like that. Austin. Let me introduce you to this episode's sponsor. It's 97th Floor, an award-winning Moz-recommended digital marketing agency located in Lehigh, Utah, and Orange County, California. They're known for driving bottom-line value results for clients like Pluralsight, Dell, and Salesforce. Visit 97thfloor.com to learn more. Let's get started. So uh, today, it's actually been a little while, but we have guests today. We've got uh, Jared Olson. What's and, up? And Blake Beard. That's right. Yeah, it's Blake Beard. I always want to say Black, Black Beard. I get that, you yeah. know, I'm sure you all do. constantly. You, never heard that. It's the first time. It's the first time for me. <laughs> so they are from a company called Rafia. Mm-hmm. Is that yep. how you pronounce that? Absolutely. Okay, Correct. so we're, we're going to be talking about company culture today. Uh, like always, we're going to be talking about current events uh, we're gonna we're gonna ask Jared and Blake to chime in as they have opinions about what we're talking about, and then we're going to get into company culture, which is their area of expertise. So, anyway, let's take it away. What current events do we have, John? So the big one I found was I love this um, ad strategy that Snowbird Mountain Resort took. Somebody posted on I believe it was Yelp a one star review. And the review read this, and it said, one-star review from a guy in Los Angeles, and it said, the, um, let me zoom in so I can uh, actually read what it's saying. Hold on. All right. So it says, one-star, too advanced. I've heard Snowbird is a tough mountain, but this is ridiculous. It felt like every trail was a steep chute or littered with tree wells. How is anyone supposed to ride in that? Not fun, Greg from Los Angeles. So Snowbird took this, and that is their whole marketing strategy and campaign for this year's, this winter, is the one-star campaign. That's what they're calling it. And they've done a bunch of ad campaigns um, in magazines with spreads, showing the review, some great shots. So you can see the one right here. I'll post it to our Facebook. So this is, this is when you're talking about a campaign, this is a, this is a print campaign. Print, digital. They're, print, they're printing books with these one-star reviews. So I'm guessing the idea here is this guy is complaining about things that most people go to the mountain for. Yes. Right? Too yes. advanced. And people are like, great, sign me up. Yeah. In fact, if you read the original Reddit post of this, everyone's comment is, yeah, it's so, so advanced, especially like, and it's really crowded, so don't come on Mondays because it's really crowded on Mondays. And you can tell the guy, that's his day to go skiing. And then everyone else is saying, it's funny because all the resorts are kind of chiming in. Oh, no, our resort sucks. Don't come to our resort. And so all these ski bums are having this little internal battle on this Reddit page. And there's about 4,000 comments on this now. Okay, so is it? do you like it? Do you think it's going to be successful? Yeah, I think it's hilarious. I think it's attracting... Snowbird 
doesn't always go for the out-of-towners. They cater to a lot of local skiers and snowboard snowboarders because they are an advanced mountain, and they're known for that, and they love being known for that. They're, I, they're I, not the I've, posh Park City. I've route. never known uh, Snowbird to be, like, super advanced. You're not in the I club. guess I'm just yeah. that good. Oh, <laughs> you're just shredding. Just too easy. This one, I think, was last week. You brought up the uh, sandwich place that said uh, with the sign outside, "Come yeah. in and try that sandwich or the worst ever sandwich from that guy on Yelp or something like that." But <laughs> Snowbird basically took the same strategy and took out a full page here. So yeah, I thought that was a clever move, and everyone I've showed it to also had the same response. They're like, "Ah, oh, it's awesome." Yeah. I think why it resonates so well with Snowbird's audience is the guy who posted it is from Los Angeles, and it's just the perfect because if you uh, dive into ski or snowboard snowboard culture, you think about what they call outsiders. They call them Jerry's. That's a good term for them. And this guy is just a classic Jerry talking about how hard the mountain is. And if you read through the comments, you can see these guys just – Tearing this Greg from Los Angeles apart. So if it were someone from Park City, you don't think it would have resonated as well? No. Hmm. Okay. I agree with that. Yeah? It crossed my mind when I read it. It's like, ah, those Californians. That's right. Don't know how to snowboard. Okay. So that snowbird in the news. Did we have anything else? Uh, was it last week or the week before? I talked about those billboards showing up in Los Angeles and New York of uh, Netflix as a joke. Yeah. can't remember what week that was. But the Emmys... During the Emmys, they pushed out a commercial where it was basically revealing that they were the ones behind it because up until that point, yeah, they hadn't confirmed it. It was just everyone's speculation. So what you're saying is you heard it first on Below the Fold. Oh, yeah, which was on 100-plus publications before that. But you heard it first on Below the Fold. That's right. Read it first somewhere else. But, yeah, that was – I guess that was was the whole buildup was that they're launching – a bunch of new comedy series from several different, like Ellen, Jerry Seinfeld, several uh, comedians, and I uh, thought it was a good campaign. You know what? I actually saw, I didn't see it, but I heard from the other room that Jerry Seinfeld was having a new show. Do we know anything about that? Yeah. So it's called Jerry Before Seinfeld, and it's kind of talking about his comedy career before Seinfeld happened. So what is it, like a documentary? I think it's like a documentary slash he does a stand-up, and it shows some of his stand-up before Seinfeld. I'm not exactly sure, Um, but that's the premise of it is, like, he wants to get the Jerry out of the Seinfeld. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, Don't they use clips of his stand-up that were from before Seinfeld? Who cares? (laughs) Okay, so basically Netflix, they're behind this stupid thing. They had a commercial that outed themselves. Uh, Did you have something, John? I just found the official title of Jerry before Seinfeld. So he goes back to his original comedy club that he started in the 70s, mixing iconic jokes with stories from his childhood. Okay. So that's it. Cool. There you go. All right. Bookmark that. Save it. Get ready to watch it. Yeah. When is it coming out? I think it's out now. It is out. Oh, it is. Cool. All right. Well, hey, let's move into the main segment, culture. Uh, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, I don't remember how long it was ago, we, we brought up an article that was published on Silicon Slope's website that was titled, you guys remember? You better. 
There's a cultural disruption happening in the Silicon Slopes. Pretty close. <laughs> oh, I was like, you we were wrong. wrong. Pretty close. There's a cultural disruption taking place in Silicon Ooh. Slopes. Close enough. Now, yeah, we've mentioned this previously on the show. The show is not very good for visual uh, cues, right? We always have to talk about every time we use air quotes. Uh, I'm I'm looking at the the feature image of this article, and it looks like. Um, like a gla- like glamour shots. That was the idea. Yeah, that's exactly what it yeah. is. Okay. Yep. So let's start there. <laughs> is is that the disruption happening in in Silicon Slopes? No, no, not at all. That is uh that is just some fun that we wanted to have. So, you know, as you talk about digital marketing, one of the things that has been impressive to us is uh, we're just having fun, right? And sharing stuff that we find interesting. And so this picture uh, is a glamour shot that we decided to take because we thought it would be fun and. It has worked out well, like yeah. to the point where here we are on your podcast talking about this crazy picture that we took, which we didn't like think that was the plan at all. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. If you if this picture weren't the feature image, we would not have reached out to you. Right. Boom. Right. That, yeah. was, that was success. The goal. Totally. <laughs> no, it's really just have fun. So, uh, Blake, where did you get this idea to do the glamour shot? Uh, this is Blake's. It, this is Blake's idea. It was my idea. What happened is I remember seeing um, a bunch of like I don't know awkward family photos, things like that. You see people doing those silhouette pictures. You know, with their face up in the corner and then looking straight at the camera. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And uh, we just decided that actual, that glamour shot that we took where we're kind of together, that was actually kind of just a side, like, we're just like, look, let's really quick, quick take a couple pictures. And so that actually ended up being one of our favorite pictures. And uh, that's the one we decided to use. So the reason we actually did the glamour shot was for uh, YouTube. So we wanted to get people to subscribe on our YouTube channel. And we thought that it would be fun to have this like glamour shot with both of us and both our heads and saying subscribe now. And as we took those, we just decided to take some together. And we got this really awkward picture <laughs> of uh, what, what resulted, and we decided to put that on the, on the article. Yeah. The, the, the question, where did this idea came from, would not be the first question I would have. My first question <laughs> would be, where did this turtleneck come from? Savers. <laughs> it actually is also a female turtleneck. It is a turtleneck. <laughs> you know, Savers doesn't have a lot of turtlenecks. Um, no. And so when you find one, you just you run with it. That's hilarious. Yep. So I have a couple questions before we get into the content and, when, and before we talk about culture. I want to talk about uh, raffia. So raffia, it looks like an, an, um, an acronym. You would think so. It's actually not. So um, Jared and I go back a long time. We've been friends for a really long time, and we decided to start a company. And we were trying to think of a name that didn't sound local. Um, You know, we kept thinking of things like Culture Guys or Culture Fly, and it just wasn't working out, like, in a sense that it didn't sound big, right? And so uh, one of the things we're super big on and one of our core values is, is what we call avant-garde culture. And part of that is, is we're very big into movies and, and we love pop culture, things like that. So um, we started looking at uh, the word culture in other languages and uh, obviously actual existing lang- languages, they were always taking, uh, taken. And then we just started looking at movie, movie languages. So we started with like parcel tongue and Klingon and that was just a little too far, too much phlegm when you have to say the words, you know. <laughs> Um, Elvish, things like that. And we actually settled on Navi, which is from the movie Avatar. And so I think people uh, think that we really like the movie Avatar. And not that it's terrible, but it's not great. But we just really like that that word. And it means culture and life in, in Navi. So that's where that comes from. There's 
really mm. no acronym behind it. We just wanted to use a word that would kind of oh. pop. Yeah, rapier means culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's a good. Uh, that's a good origin story at the very least. Boom. Yeah. Okay, so this talks about a cultural disruption. So a disruption, in my mind, indicates that you had status quo, and then something happened that disrupted status quo. And I imagine that's what you're claiming is there. We as a company uh, are disrupting the status quo when it comes to company culture. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's 100% what we're trying to do. And uh, it's because we're trying to take the approach of the way that the millennial will see things and what resonates with them. And so we go into companies and we provide unique perspective that is against the grain. And do you want us to tell some of those things? or Sure. Okay. I'd like to hear it. So uh, let, let's just go with this one, for example. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm actually going to be, uh, we'll be presenting at an event called Disrupt HR. Um, and we're going to be talking about the roles spouses play in companies. And when you, like HR traditionally, and that's our background, it's human resources, they don't want you to find out about family stuff, right? Like they might ask you, how's your family? What'd you do this weekend? But like when you interview for a job, they say it's against the law to ask them, tell me about your wife or if you're married or your significant other, tell me if you have kids and and it goes to the extremes. I was in this conference once for HR, and they were saying that if you interview someone, you should not walk them out to their car because a lawsuit actually happened where a recruiter took somebody to the car. They didn't get hired, and in the back seat of their car was a, a child's car seat. And so the, the lawsuit was based around that the candidate feels they were discriminated against because they had children. So like HR is on this side of saying – don't ask anything personal, only ask about things that have to do with work. And at Raytheon, our disruptive approach is to find out who people really are. Now, the reality is when we go home every day, every employee, most every employee goes home to somebody. And as they go home, they don't, they're, they're blunt, they're honest. They tell their spouse how they're really feeling. And so they open up. And the number one reason we think people act on quitting their job is because day in and day out of their spouse hearing how unhappy they are, the spouse says, I think you should quit. And that's the, that's the trigger that gets somebody to leave a job. And so one of our disruptive things is when you recruit and find someone, find out who they are. And if it's their family that motivates them, find out about their family and involve their spouse and their children in the business so that they become believers which will then make the employee happier and re- stay longer and produce better work. It's pulling directly from the article, which I think sums up kind of your mission or, or kind of how you guys feel uh, culture should operate. In, in some terms, you define specific culture. You talk about what's not culture, ping pong tables, billiard, all those kinds of things. Uh, I asked you before we started recording whether or not you listened to the episode where we talked about the article there were some questions that were brought up that, frankly, we weren't qualified to answer, um, but that kind of disagreed with some of the things that were said. Do you guys remember any of those things? Uh, the word organic. Yeah. I specifically remember that one. Yeah. So yeah. I want to talk about that because that's, I mean, sometimes we we have questions that go unanswered uh, by the end of the episode, which was one of the reasons why we wanted to have you guys on to kind of clarify that. So for those of you that didn't listen to that episode... Shame on Shame you. Shame on you. Uh, but to clarify, there's a specific spot in the article. In fact, I'll pull it up here and I'll read it. 
and then I'll kind of get into my question and turn it over to you guys to for your rebuttal. Uh, there was a there was a spot on the um, in the article that talked about having an organic culture. So it says cultures that happen organically thrive without the the pesticides of bureaucracy. Cultures that are forced will do the exact opposite of your intended goal. So when I read that the first time, my thought was, and I asked both Brandon and John, I was like, what 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 does that bring to mind? How how would you define a culture that happens organically? And they kind of gave their uh, their definitions, which surprised me because I thought that they would share similar definitions, which uh, shows how opinion works on the show. Uh, but my thought was, if you let culture happen organically, then why is there a reason to hire a company like Raphia to come in and disrupt it, meaning it's no longer organic? Anyway, so that's so a question. That's that's a great point, and I think when we talk about that word leadership, right? Because you kind of brought up that that or excuse me, culture. Sorry, I apologize. Yeah. When you bring up that word culture, typically your mind goes to activities, right? Sure. We've got the ping pong. We we do lunch as a company and things like that. Where culture is so much more than that. It's not just the activities. It could be just the environment of the company, but a big part of that is actually leadership. And the hard thing is, is sometimes leadership doesn't know how to handle that culture. They don't know what to do, or they don't even know that there's something that exists. And I I remember one of you, I don't remember who brought up the fact that, you know, maybe like one o'clock is seven o'clock or seven, seven, 11 time. You guys head out and go get a drink. 97 floor, right? Yeah. 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 So that was me. So, so those things, those things (laughs) start to take place. But a big part of that is the, the management or the leadership allowing those things to happen. Now, um, I'll give you a perfect example of this. My brother-in-law, actually, when we first started a company, he came to me and he said, hey, I hear what you guys are doing. Never come to my company. And I was like, all right, stings just a little bit. But the reason why he said that is because he has this, this manager. He had the CEO for his company. And the CEO, his goal was to force the team to get together and be a team. And so things were happening like they were not allowed to eat lunch at their desk. They had to go eat lunch in the cafeteria so they could get to know each other. Or they had to go and be a part of the birthday celebrations every single month. And he absolutely hated that. And that made him not want to be part of that and could not wait for that CEO. He actually was let uh, the CEO was actually let go after a while. But a big part of that, that culture and, and, and why we would need to be part of that is because sometimes you just don't know what to do or you don't know that things are happening. And our goal basically is uh, our, comp- or our, our, basically our motto is the human side of culture. And so that means our goal is to go in and not just find out if I come to talk to you as the CEO and I say, what's your culture? Your response is typically going to be like, oh, it's great. My team loves it. They love working here. And why is that? Well, because when you as the CEO go ask your team, how do you like working here? What are they going to tell you? I love working here. It's great. You know, just don't fire me. Right. And so um, the goal is basically let's go in and talk to the team. Let's go find out what's actually happening from their perspective as an outsider coming in and trying to figure out how we can make it better or find out from those team members what they want as part of the culture. That's that's something that that CEOs can't typically get from their teams. Uh, the other thing that we would say uh, why you want someone to come in, because if you allow things to happen organically, organically. Air um, yeah, air quotes, <laughs> right? Uh, let's just take Tony Shea, for example. Tony Shea, was, he's the CEO of Zappos. Everybody knows him for that. But previously, he owned a company called Link Exchange. And Link Exchange became super successful, right? He hired all of his friends, and it was it was fantastic. It was sold for lots of millions of dollars. I forget off the top of my head. Um, and it was bought by uh, Microsoft. After Microsoft purchased it, um, 
Tony would go into Link Exchange and it just blew up overnight with all the funding and the public offering that they had that he started hating his job. And he hated it because he lost control of the culture. And Chris Harrington, uh, the president of Domo, he said that you get one chance to do your culture. And if you mess it up, you have to start over. And that's what Tony did. That's why he got out of Link Exchange and sold and then went to, to start Zappos. And that's why Zappos' entire focus is the culture because if you don't pay attention to it, and you, or if you force things at the same time, like there's this two sides of this organic nature, it is good and it is bad, um, then you're going to have some issues. And that's why we come in, to help small companies that are growing understand who are you, what do you want to be, and to maintain that as you continue to experience this rapid growth. Okay. Uh, so have you ever had cases where you go into a company and you're kind of like, oh, you guys are doing this pretty well, actually? Yeah, I mean, you you meet a lot of companies. Um, we've spoken with companies before that basically said, hey, can you give us any suggestions? And we see, you know, things that they're already doing. They're already listening to their teams. They're already, you know, doing a lot of great things. Um, a lot of it, they just need some suggestions on leadership type things yeah. at, at times. But, yeah, I mean, you have – there's great companies out there that have, you know, this this understanding of how important that is, and so they do focus on it. it you know, that's kind of the reality of why we started Rafia is because the Silicon Slopes is doing a good job. These tech companies that are starting are doing a good job with their culture, and they're leaving other companies in the dust. And a lot of these other industries are saying, well, like, we don't work in tech. We don't need to compete against that. But the reality is that when you're hiring talent, you are competing against tech because there are a lot of start startups and they're attracting people because their culture is good, and you're losing talent to those tech companies. So it doesn't matter what your industry is. It matters the demographic. And And the Department of Labor said that in 2025, 44% of the workforce are going to be millennials. And so that means that millennials who love these unique cultures and different ideas and, and like this disruptive approach are who you will be hiring. So we're going out there to say you can either wait until you're forced to change or we can help you lead the charge and being ahead of the curve for when that happens. Cool. Let's shift gears just a little bit. There are some cultures that have a name, right? So 97th floor is uh, Row, right? Mm -hmm. I, I imagine you guys are familiar with Row. It's work only – or sorry, results only work environment. Uh, first of all, I want to know your opinion of the Row process uh, whether good, bad, what your thoughts are there. And then I'm wondering if there are other types of cultures that have, that are like categorized and named like 97 floors row. Yeah. Uh, we love row row is a, a really unique approach. And, and what's good about it is it just puts the focus on the results and people love that, right? It's nice to know you can come in and leave whenever you need to. And your manager is not going to breathe down your throat because they're just focusing on the results. The, the hiccup with Roe that we see most often is people who are just crushing it um, and they want more opportunity. And those opportunities are limited when they're looking for that next opportunity for advancement. Um, and, and so when you focus just on the results, it's it could be a different balance of the throughput people are putting in. Sorry, real quick. When you say when you say they're crushing it. As I as I'm imagining, I thought you were going to go in the opposite direction. The problem with Roe is that people take advantage of <laughs> yeah, the fact that which, they can come and go as they please. Sure. Well, they can, and I guess that we just think more on the the positive side of they're doing a really good job because yeah. uh, that's the way we think, right? Uh, we focus on cultures that are doing. A, we try to focus on cultures that are doing a good job, 
And so when they are doing it, if you have an ex- excellent performer who's exceeding expectations, um, how do you give them more if in, in other you're words, just measuring the result? Right. In other words, the results, uh, you, there's a spectrum, right? If someone is meeting 100% of, their ex, of the expectation that their boss may have, then they're good, right? Exactly. They're, they're, they're providing results. But the expectation in a results-only work environment is that you get results and 100% is the minimum, but anything beyond that is just doing your job. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, people get bored, right? If they're in that kind of scenario and they're that person that's quote-unquote crushing it, I think at that point it becomes a situation where I'm unhappy with my job because I'm not being fulfilled because I'm I'm hitting that status quo kind of like you mentioned earlier yeah. or because I'm outperforming him but we're getting treated this, the same. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it it has By the way, with... I was pointing at John when I was <laughs> giving that example. <laughs> and I I nodded because yeah. I, I knew. Yeah. Uh, but um yeah, it has a lot to do with, you know, there's the law of diminishing returns, right? After a certain point, that and and that to me is a positive reason to have row is be- sure. because I obviously give out and stop working effectively at a certain point. So th- there's definite positives. There's definite negatives to it. But, um, you know, I think a big part of what people want out of a culture is to also be fulfilled and feel like they're part of something. And when I get to that point where I've done everything I need to do, there's nothing for me to do. I want more. Yeah. Have you guys ever counted how many times the word culture is used in your daily uh, language? <laughs> Uh, no, I feel like if you kept a tally, it would, it would be, pretty it, high. It would be it's a lot. And you know, the, the problem with culture is it's a very misunderstood word, yeah. right? There, there are a lot of people who have a lot of different opinions of what it is, but what we believe it is, is we believe it's leadership. We believe it's the way of thinking. We believe it's what motivates people. And we believe it's what drives your bottom line, because if your people are involved in the business, they will have higher performance, which will yield better results for the business. So like, it's a broad term. It's a buzzword right now, and we're trying to help define what it actually is, and it's a lot more than this nebulous thing. It, like, actually improves your business and your bottom line. That's awesome. I want to hand it off to John real quick. He is in a results-only work environment, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think that they practice it pretty strictly. I think that there are probably some little things that – I mean, it's a certification, right? Somebody comes out, and they, they basically examine how things are being done, and then they give you a stamp and a little probably certificate. I don't know. But uh, after hearing what Jared and and, and Blake Blake were talking about, is that pretty accurate uh, assessment of how you feel Roe is in, like, real life? Um, Yes and no. I feel like there's at times where I'm, I'm, I guess you would say, getting my job done, whether that's crushing it, air quotes, or whatever. I don't know. You'd have to talk to my boss about that. Just ask Paxton. Um, But, uh and i feel like one i'm i've hit that i don't think i'm ever like saying i'm bored i want more opportunities um i think well that that's just a question of ambition yeah yeah cuz <laughs> cuz what it i love row and especially 97 floors uh setup because i'll get my work done and then i'm free to work on other projects help other people so if i do have that or just ambition go home. yeah or go home and hang out with my family and so I and develop my other hobbies, yeah. you know. So it's like, like today, I, I got my work done, and for the rest of the afternoon, I went and helped um, our video guy shoot a commercial, and that was really interesting to me. I have a passion for video, and it was a good experience. So I don't think I ever get like burned out and say, "Oh, there's not enough room for improvement here," but um, I do. Th- 
think we really push hard at 97 floor that, okay, yeah, you're on row, but we are very focused on results. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, there are people who put in 100% and then they stop at 100% and don't go beyond because it's not expected of them? Yeah, I think so. And, and, and is that an, an acceptable behavior? Um, it It is, but it's not at the same time. Am I, I asking questions that you just haven't thought through? No, I have. Like, hmm. We've actually <laughs> talked about this at our – we have – a weekly marketers meeting where all the organic marketers get together and we, we talk about row quite often. And, um, it's interesting because, you know, we talked about, okay, if you're hitting a hundred percent, are you, I, a- I thought the first rule of row was not to talk, Don't about, talk row. about row. <laughs> oh, it's not like bike club. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, what, what we talked about was like, yeah, there's a players, B players and C players. C players are the guys who are taking advantage of row. They're getting fired. They're not going to be with the company. They're not sticking up with the the values and the culture of the company. The B players, yeah, they're getting their job done, and that's about it. But then there's the A players, and we you could even define A players and A-plus players, but A-plus, A players would be the ones who get the job done. They're getting that 100%, but then they're looking, who else can I help? Is there anyone else on my small team that's struggling that I could help out that I could get them to 100%? Or is there another way I could elevate? And so there's this kind of like secret monster to row, I feel like, where it's like you never know when enough is enough. And I feel like that's the hard part about row. Because hmm. sometimes I'm like, I think I've done enough. <laughs> should I go home? Yeah. And then other days I'm like, well, I, sh- I probably should just keep working, you know? And so it, that's the dark side of row is like you never know when enough is enough. Huh. So uh, that's an interesting uh, answer. I come back to Raphia, and uh, I imagine that even companies who are in row kind of make it their own to where, you know, they may recognize that there's burnout or, or some people are outperforming others, and then they create kind of a sub-tier system where they have like A, B, and C players where they're rewarding them separately depending on how much additional effort they're putting into it. I don't know. That's kind of what it sounds like is happening over at 97th floor. Mm. Um, I've never heard of any other company besides uh, 97th floor. And then I think Best Buy. So the company that, that started row, they started in HR at Best Buy is Best Buy doing row. I don't know if they still are. I know they were, you know, they're the founders of it. Let me check and see if they still are. Do you know of anyone else doing row? No, like I, I think they have their then, yeah. Right? It's pretty is very rare. Too much trust in employees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you want another idea? Yeah. Okay. Here's the other idea. It's uh, it's called holacracy. Any, any guys ever heard of holacracy? Uh-uh. No. Is that in Navi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. no. So it's actually hola crazy in Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so this is a idea that originated out of Europe, and a lot of European companies did it. And the company that made it pretty successful uh, here in the states was was Zappos. We talked a little bit about them. Um, so holacracy's approach is that there are no managers of any kind. So when Zappos actually rolled out holacracy, is after they had started, they had a lot of turnover because there's no titles. And there's no managers. So if you're a senior executive, you lose your status immediately. And instead of filling job descriptions, you start filling roles. And we, I really like that idea. I like the concept of viewing the person for who they are. So instead of saying, 
we need someone in digital marketing that can do X, Y, and Z. You find a talented person and you say, what are your skills? And once you find out what their skills are, you put those into the business wherever help is needed. So it might not just be in the advertising department. It might have some sales elements or even some technical support if that's where their skill sets lie. And who manages them is the team that they're a part of. Um, and, and there's like roles and there's sub circles that roles are within that kind of have a bigger, bigger cause. And so if you're going to get hired, you interview with this group of people who are going to be your peers. And then when your review comes up and you're going to get a raise, it's your counterparts that decide how much you're going to get. And if you don't carry your weight as part of the team, then you're let go. And so like to combat Rose, I don't know if I've given enough holacracy is you know where you stand if your team tells you and you should be doing your work or if they fire you (laughs) exactly so that's another really interesting idea that we're big fans of so if uh i've got one more question and then i want to go into the business um of raffia if you i shouldn't say if when raffia grows and you have tons of employee i don't even know if that's a goal we'll just we'll just throw that out there you guys want to grow what type of culture would you employ in your own company? That's a great question. I think, um, you know, with the experiences that Jaron and I have had, a lot of what we do now stems from experiences we've had with other companies. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of that has to do with more than anything. Um, and I'll give you a concept that we talk about on occasion, um, and that is beholding your team. And the idea behind beholding your team is actually having a conversation. And Jared talked about this just a little bit uh, as we first started. But the idea basically is is you get to know your team for who they are. Um, Some of the things that we practice already are if we have to have a difficult conversation with someone, we actually follow a a core value that we call chow. We take them to a restaurant or we take them to get frozen yogurt or something. And we have a conversation with them away from the office, away from the desk, simply because it it brings down the walls of, of defensiveness, right? It gets you both out of your element. And then at that point, you can just have a conversation. And so that's just a concept that we follow. And it's been very successful for us in in helping us create relationships with the people that we work with. Um, But a big part of it is just actually creating relationships with your team and being a leader where they feel that they can come and talk to you. I actually, um, Jared mentioned Disrupt HR earlier. I presented at Disrupt HR last uh, earlier this year. And the topic that I have, I had was um, finding a, a leader, a great leader is like finding Bigfoot. And so meaning the, they don't exist. <laughs> great question. No, they do. It is possible talking to someone who believes in Bigfoot. You're, mm-hmm. you're treading on dangerous waters there. Yeah, OK, uh, but uh, the, the idea basically is, is there was this guy who wrote this book about uh, they call it the Bigfoot uh, Field Observer's Guide. Uh, this guy, Robert Morgan, wrote this book about how you can have your own personal experience with Sasquatch. And part of that was you go out to the middle of the forest, show that you're non-threatening, open your hands, and they will come to you. Right? So that's, that's his personal. I personally haven't tried it. I personally haven't had the experience. But you can adopt that same process when working with your team. If you show that you're non-threatening, uh, they come to you, they talk to you. You can actually be a better leader rather than just that boss or that manager that usually has, carries that negative connotation. And so a big part of this is actually getting to know your team and helping them to feel comfortable talking to you because when you have those barriers down, you can collaborate better. You can work together better and come up with ideas more as a team rather than you just trying to call the shots constantly. Yeah. Okay. Did you guys have anything else? I want to move into a segment specifically about how you market your business. I had one thing. Are you guys familiar with um, Adam Maroon's Everything? Have you ever heard of that show before? I have. I've heard of it. I've never. I've he, personally never seen it. But. You know, your head, right? You've yeah. seen him. Yeah. Um, he did one on The Office, which was just like 
pretty recently, like the, the, the workplace and stuff like that, you would probably enjoy that episode. But <laughs> uh, a lot of the things he talked about, you know, the, the nine to five culture, where that originated from and his claim of it being outdated. But the big thing that he talked about that got a lot of publications talking about it was um, transparent salaries, which some companies like Buffer is notable. They're the social media management platform. Uh, I'm looking at a list right now of every single employee's salary. They have like an equation and everything, but he talked about that kind of cultural thing right now where, you know, you don't talk about money. What's your guys' opinion on that? If, if a CEO came to you and said, we're thinking of just like going totally transparent with salaries, we're, we're seeing case studies. Is this a bad idea or is this a good idea? So there's a couple people that do similar stuff. One would just be the, the government, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the government, uh, may, they track that. So I actually sit on a compensation committee with South Jordan City. So it's me, the mayor, the city pl- uh, manager, and their HR person. And so we review. That sounds like a party. It is a party. <laughs> we, we do get lunch catered, which is nice. <laughs> but we sit around and we analyze what's going on with compensation. Where is it headed? What's going on with benefits? And uh, that then goes into this database that goes onto, uh, you know, Utah.gov. But the data that's in there, the problem with it is that it can easily be inflated. Because uh, an employee may have a cell phone. They may have a company vehicle for that city if they're like in parks and rec or something like that. And how do you calculate that correctly? So it may say they make X amount, but it could be way off. And so I, uh, the thing you have to be careful with is calculating total compensation um, and how the organization does that. Because if it's your base salary, you could do it. But if it's total comp, there's a lot of variables that are moving parts that are some of the time hard to actually pin down. Um, and then there's also a company out of Seattle. Do you remember their name, Blake? Um, I forget off the top of my head. There's a company in Seattle, and the CEO came out and said everybody gets a base salary of seventy thousand dollars. Yeah, that's that credit card. I remember yes. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, I remember you guys remember that, that right? Yeah. So here's my question: from a marketing perspective, how do you think that went for him? So well, if I remember correctly, yeah. it went south for a little bit because a lot of clients were like. A, I think there were some who took it as a political message. They were turned off by that. And then there were others saying, oh, we're paying for those salaries um, for the marketing aspect. I do know some internal employees were like, wait a minute, Greg, who Who's works half his heart, is now making like what took me three years to get to this salary. So, Well, I, if I remember correctly, it was a booming success at the very beginning where he got, got a lot national of coverage yeah. and he was like touted as this major hero for – looking out for the underdog and giving up his million dollar salary to come down and uh and it, it played well in the media but what what i heard was that it, it ended up being some ploy because he was in some lawsuit with his brother and that was a way for him to not have to pay out as much I sounds heard like that. there are a lot of rumors yeah so i would answer your question with what you guys just said is it good to do it well it worked really and gravity payments was the company it worked well initially for gravity payments and then it went south so um, it could be fun, could be unique. Transparency is always a good thing, but like, how far do you want to go with it? Yeah, yeah. They had a they had a lot of turnover at the beginning. Yeah, I was going to say the the thing that comes to my mind is it might be really attractive for branding your company as a great place to work, right? If I'm looking for a job and I find out, holy cow, I can get a seventy thousand dollar base salary. If I'm not working at the company right now, if I go to work for the company, that's great. But anybody who's there, yeah, there was another know, article that an talked issue. about how many applications they got after that that came out. 
um, which takes your the odds of getting a job there pretty low. Yeah. Okay. Anything else, Brandon? Uh, I think the rest of my questions fall. Okay. Into cool. So uh, we have about ten fifteen minutes left. You guys good with that? Mm-hmm. So uh, Rafia is um, is a unique business, and uh, uh, usually when starting a business, you have a business model. You've got uh, you know your business plan. You have uh, research and data that suggests that there's actually people out there willing to pay for this kind of service. Uh, I, I'm wondering what process you went through to determine, yeah, this is a great idea when no one else is really doing that, and or maybe they are and I don't know about it. Um, and then how do you market yourself, online or offline or however? How do you how do you spread the word? So nobody has taken our unique approach to it, right? That's what makes us different from everybody else. There's a lot of consulting companies out there that go in. Our unique approach is using the word culture, like we say it a lot because that's our unique way to spin our brand on it, um, but to go in and show the human side of doing business. And uh, the way we knew there was a need for that is because that's what our background is in. Like we, we both as HR professionals and in being in the recruiting industry and trying to find good talent, seeing the cost of time to hire when you can't get someone, the cost of turnover and how that impacts retention and how all of that leads to the bottom line is, is a huge issue. So like I've come up from the HR, or HR uh, realm into the C-suite and um, have done operations. And so like I've been able to pay attention to the P&Ls at different companies and understand how people influence that that work for you and how by focusing on the person, the other issues take care of themselves. So we really have just kind of gleaned all this insight from our background and the experience that we've had. Um, and, and so I don't know, does that kind of answer your question of like, how did we know it needed to happen is because we constantly heard that it needed to happen. And we've been involved in a lot of different nonprofit groups, companies like uh, SHRM, which is a society for human resource management, it's the world's largest group of HR practitioners. And the stuff they're talking about is only about adapting and adapting is good, but adapting means you have missed an opportunity to disrupt. You, you now have to do what the law is telling you to or what another company is forcing your hand at. And isn't it a lot better to be a business owner and disrupt to make other companies be like, okay, I guess we have to do this because they're forcing me to do that. And that's what we want to do within the leadership arena is we want to think so creatively that it forces other companies to do the same thing because it's so effective. That's awesome. So from a marketing standpoint, did you guys do market research that, to determine here are the people we need to be communicating with? Here are the people who are most likely to become our, our client or communicate to the person who is. Uh, I mean, what, what data are you looking at to determine who and when to talk to people? Yeah, so a big part of that is we've worked in the tech industry. And so kind of our main focus when we first started this all and actually still currently um, is is to work with those tech companies that are up and coming that have um, that have – the, the VC funding and things like that to, to spend money on, on creating these cultures, uh, air quotes. Um, you know, and a lot of what we, I mean, honestly, when we first started doing this, we started thinking about what kind of business we would want to create. And we wanted to do something kind of in that culture realm. Um, and we started thinking about, okay, well, maybe we'll start a YouTube channel or we'll maybe you'll start, you know, uh, making some videos. And that's actually what we started doing to, to market ourselves a little bit more. And, and we did gain some attention from some of those, uh, nonprofits and Jared's actually really great at networking, and so um, we hear from a lot of people that the uh, the need is there, 
just based upon our own networking experiences and speaking at engagements and things like that, we do have people coming up to us and saying, hey, this would be great for my company. We're looking for this kind of information or this kind of uh, uh, information and, and, you know, change to take place. Um, but a lot of it has just been a lot of networking with people and talking to people and saying, hey, where is this need? I, and, and I'll give you an experience. We went into um, start a, an account for our, our business. And when we did, we went into the bank and we sat there and I just, I got crazy because it was super quiet, right? And I hate, I hate silence. And so um, I actually yeah, asked. Yeah, that bank is a client. <laughs> yeah. And so I asked, I asked the girl at the desk, I said, do you hate working here? Does it drive you crazy with the silence? And she, she didn't say that she hated working there, right? But she did She's say. Like, We're being the, I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, she, she slipped a note to us. Yeah. Yes, right. No, but she, she had made comment that the silence drives her crazy. And so there are certain areas, I think, that where we could go and we could say, hey, we want to change your culture. We want to disrupt what you're doing. And they're going to say, absolutely not, right? Um, and so, you know, we, we've done that research and trying to figure out what kind of companies are, are best for us to work with. And what we found is, is mostly tech companies because they have that funding and they have, because they have the desire to grow those areas of their business. Yeah. And so our marketing approach has really been social media, right? We're, we're the millennial approach to doing business. And as such, they love social media. Mm-hmm. So um, we're trying to grow that. Um, we have a YouTube channel. We recently started coming out with vlogs, which is just ways to become content thought leaders. Um, and the articles that we've written, well, they've got us on the coolest podcast in the world. Right. right? <laughs> it works. Like, it works. So, uh, so Wait, every which week. Which one's that? Go all the fold. The fold. Oh, Come on. Jeez. Sorry, I was like, holy cow, I need to know what podcast is. <laughs> we, I mean, we couldn't even remember the title of our own article. <laughs> yeah. So um, we, we every week we come out with a new vlog. We come out with posts that go on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. We go with articles that are getting published in handful of different places. And so we're really just trying to share our unique thought leadership out there. Um, and with that, we're, we're getting a lot of attention and continuing to network uh, with those inroads that we already have. Do you find that you have to do a lot more outbound marketing, like actually reaching out to the companies and saying, hey, here's what we have? Or is the strategy of the social, the thought leadership that's out there, are you finding more often than not companies are then emailing you guys saying, I saw this, let's talk more? Yeah, um, most of the time they're finding us. Okay. Uh, which is good. If we're, we don't already have that network established. Now we have a broad network in, in the uh, leadership space. And so uh, it's easy for us to leverage those relationships, but people we're unfamiliar with, they normally hit us up and find us because when anybody searches for culture, we are kind of it right now, which is a nice place to be. I, I actually right. want, I want to know about competition. So not necessarily companies that are doing exactly what you're doing, but who, where are the roadblocks? When you're going to a company saying, hey, we're the right fit for you, what are they saying that's preventing you from getting the business? Most, most of that is that uh, companies have in-house people, right? If you go to a CEO and say, let me help you with your culture, most of the time the CEO is going to say, like, we have HR, and they can do that for us. So why would I hire you? Um, and so the obstacle has generally been getting past HR, right? Like, we go talk to them about our disruptive approaches, and they love it. They're eaten out of the palm of our hands, um, but they're not good salespeople to the C-suite. And so our biggest obstacle has been getting past the in-house people to then have the C-suite say like, oh, yeah, I totally get what's going on. Instead of using my full-time person I'm paying here, I can, I can do it for you, which is another reason why we're targeting these small startup tech companies because 
most employers under 100 employees don't have a dedicated HR person. And so if they don't, we can go in and say, let us help you with this. So, I mean, that's just an – you're not a replacement for HR. No. Uh, and and when, when you say, you know, CEO and, and HR, you're typically going to HR reps and saying, hey, this is what we can do. Mm-hmm. But I get both both things. One, they say, sure, I'll talk to the C-suite. And then they say, isn't that your job? But on the other hand, I can I, – I could – like I feel like if I were an HR rep, I'd feel threatened. Like that's that's supposed to be my job. But but now I have to go to them and say, hey, can we pay someone else to do what you think I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah. I imagine that that's a pretty substantial roadblock in, in getting new business. It is. And in, in if you can get them to understand why it's a necessity, right? And, and I'll give you an example. Uh, we did a presentation earlier this year where we did a mannequin challenge. And as I stood on it, my pose was I was standing on a chair. And this lady who was in HR came up to me and said, have you not considered the liability here? And my, my response to her was essentially – this is why we're around, right? Uh, a lot of these, a lot of these HR people, yeah, they can do it, but they don't because they're so concerned about the bureaucratic t- red tape. I no, have but to seriously, get did you think about the? I did. I didn't because I didn't care, yeah. right? I have had a good run, right? Jared was driving, I wasn't driving, so it was it was safe. It was fine. <laughs> but the idea basically is is if you get, get if you can get them to understand, look, you need to change the way you think, and it's not us coming in to replace HR. That's like. We don't want to be the lawmakers, right? Yeah. We want to get people to see that they can do things differently. And as you talk to them and as you get them to see kind of that different perspective and why it's important for their team, they, they start to open up a little and, bit And the more. reason HR is not threatened is because HR is viewed as the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And when we go into a company, we're this third party that are like neutral source that doesn't have any preconceived notions on who they are. So they can open up to us a little bit easier and HR are the people that create the red tape, but our disruptive model is let's cut the red tape. And so by us coming in, they don't have to be the bad guys saying like, hey, remember all those laws I pushed really heavy you need to focus on? Now we get to come in and say like, we got this crazy idea and they still can maintain what they want, but get accomplished what they need as well. I guess in a lot of cases, you probably validate a lot of the things that they've already been yes. trying to do. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and you face, I mean, a marketing leader in general faces the same thing when hiring a marketing agency. Uh, I would say the difference is at least the advantage that a marketing agency has is it's a lot easier for them to tie in like you're going to give us $10,000. We're going to make you this much. And I would imagine the C-level employees look at everything in numbers and they're always they're thinking, okay, we're going to pay these guys to come in X number of dollars. How are we going to make money off of this? Because that's how every decision is. So how do you tie back that culture, even though, you know, I mean, it's a very indirect tie, I guess. But I would imagine that's one of the big struggles at least getting to that c-suite buy-off is no the easiest way to do roi from what we do is recruiting right so ability to find great talent time to hire and we have an entire recruiting process that we recommend companies go through um that is specific to making sure that that person is a good cultural fit Right. And we talk a lot about what that means because cultural fit has negative connotation as well. Cause like you want to grow, you don't also want to get more people that's just like you. So we talk to them about how they can find the right person. And that helps a ton with recruiting costs. Um, and then we have this proactive approach of finding good talent so that recruiting time to hire is less. And then the second thing is retention, right? And retention, the cost for turnover is absurd. And we can just find out a little bit about that company, a little bit about our financials, and then we can tell you exactly what their, their cost for turnover is and how by focusing on the person and beholding them, you will keep them for longer, which will yield better results. 
And as you get these creative ideas like Row, I mean, I'm imagining 97th floor has better retention because they have good things in place that people want to stick around for. So um, there's a lot of metrics we can use that really show the benefit of what we bring to the company. Hmm. Interesting. That's awesome. I have one kind of final question I've been thinking about is what company do you guys like? What's your favorite company culture that you've seen and why? Does it fall to Zappos? <laughs> Zappos, yeah, they they have a pretty good con- uh, company culture. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I'll give you one. I'll give you one that's kind of a, a smaller one a company that we've worked with. Uh, great Harvest actually has a great company culture. Um, you find people there that have been there for years, and not because they feel not because they're making tons of money, or not because they don't feel like they can go other places, but they love their job. They love to work with the people that they do. They love to work with doing the job that they're doing. And so they I love think free bread they samples. love free. Yeah. How could you not? Right. I'm a carb guy clearly, but, uh, I, I, I think, um, they, they stuck out to me when we, when we've worked with them and we've talked to them, they've, they've been a great example of, you know, that retention is huge. Right. And it's that, that low turnover that, uh, makes them successful. Um, there are so many good companies that we work with, but if you had to pick one, I'd pick Rafia. Ooh. <laughs> oh, there's a plug. That's the answer I was waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So so we're actually out of time. I want to give you guys uh, maybe 60 seconds to kind of wrap up any last thoughts that you may have uh, while at the same time maybe doing a more official plug, how people can find you, uh, that kind of thing. So I just want to start off by saying the, the whole idea, the whole thing that we really want to help your company do is, is brand who they are, right? When someone is looking for a job, and I mentioned this actually in the article, I started off or we started off talking about a job or a career fair and you going in and seeing all these different tables, what makes you want to go to a company and why? Um, why do you want to work there? And so the idea is, is we want to help you brand who you are. And so when people are looking for that job, your company is the place that they have to work. If they come in for an interview, they, they're saying, I have to work here. Not because of the ping pong tables, not because of those fun activities, but because of that leadership and, and that experience that they've had while they've been there. And so for, for me, that's what I would say is, is overall branding. Um, and if you guys want to find us, because we'd love to talk to you, to you more about it, uh, you can get us on our website uh, at rafia.com. And, and rafia is R-E-Y-F-Y-A. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And if you want more kind of concepts, we every week, once again, come out with original content on our ideas and different approaches and things we're noticing with the clients we're working with and hearing within the Silicon Slopes. Um, so it's a great place just to get more information and, and we can dive into more, more information there. Cool. Thank you guys so much for coming on. If you've enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to leave a review on iTunes or whatever other podcasting platform you listen to. We go live every Thursday around 5 p.m. Mountain Time. Our website is belowthefold.io. Our Twitter handle, at belowthefold.io. And that's it. Until next week, we'll catch you below the fold.